This is the story of Saul in pursuit of David in the wilderness of En Gedi. All right, let me get this puppy going. Where in the mundo? There it is. You guys doing all right? Wilderness of Engedi. Don't worry. It's just call this wings and tassels. Okay? Yes, I just got finished saying it. Eighth grade boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where I need your help. All right. This is the story of Saul in pursuit of David. And it takes place in the wilderness of Qumran. Say Qumran. Qumran. Now, Qumran is what the Bible describes as a desert. It's a wilderness. When I say wilderness, please don't think Canada and 50-foot trees and like beautiful green. No, that's not wilderness. In the Bible, wilderness, desert, dead, nothing grows. Everything is hostile toward you. This right here, guys, is Qumran. I want you to take a look at these pictures Look at these beautiful plants. <laughs> Look at these giant redwoods. I mean, Mars, the surface of Mars is more habitable than Qumran, I think. It's more welcoming. Uh, this, this place is absolutely, ugh. but do you know what's located directly in the heart of Qumran? I'm going to show you. Not that. It's an oasis. Check it out. I did not Photoshop those palm trees in there. Those are real palm trees. I took these pictures. Look at that thing. It's a, you know what that is? No. It's a yellow-bellied wimp womper. Like I'm just kidding. I have no idea what it is. Yes, I think it is a beaver-like creature. It's a honey badger. Look at this. I'm like 25 feet away from those ibex deer. Isn't that cool? This is right in the middle of Qumran. Qumran is, do you know, where, you know what Qumran's famous for? They found the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran and those caves up in the cliffs. So you see this babbling brooks, waterfalls. I mean, this place is the coolest place in the world. It's called En Gedi. Say En Gedi. Everybody say En Gedi. En Gedi means spring of the deer. Okay. Now the desert is the place where God brings you into chaos so that he can show you what is shalom. Are you listening? God brings us into the desert, into chaos, so that he can say, this is shalom. Because the United States of America gives you a terrible picture of shalom. All this stuff that we see, this is not shalom. My cabinet is full, my refrigerator is full, my bank account is full, my pockets are full, my gas tank is full. That is not shalom. That is opulence. That is luxury. That is overabundance. But that is not the picture that God gives us of who he is in the Bible. God is the God of the desert. Now, I think that God brings us into a desert where Everything will kill you. Everything wants to eat you. You'll either die of starvation. You'll die of thirst. You'll die of exposure. You'll die of a flash flood. 
everything in the desert wants to kill you. And if God doesn't show up, you die. It's as simple as that. So God says, come on, you want to go in the desert? And his people go, okay. You know what I mean? Like, taking us to the desert. That's the place where everything's going to kill us. God wants to strip off all of this stuff and then show us what true shalom is. Shalom is where you benefit. I give you the benefit and I take the hit for it. United States is, I get the benefit and I kick that guy in the throat to get it. I get the benefit off of your back, the work and sweat off your back. That's how I get more and better and greater. Shalom is, I want you to be great and good and blessed and I'll take the punishment so that you can get there. I'll take the hit. I'll take the stripes. I'll take the beating. I'll sacrifice so that you can be blessed. That's shalom. So please don't look around America and go, yeah, this is shalom. It's not. It's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's, I'm thankful for it, but it's not true shalom. Okay. Verse seven and eight. Uh, sorry, verse seven and eight. I wonder if the psalm, do you know the psalm that says as the deer? I wonder if David wasn't sitting right here on this rock looking at these things when he wrote, as the deer pants for the water, that's how my soul longs after you. Because we know he was in Getty, in En Getty when he wrote it. But I don't know exactly where in En Getty, but he wrote that psalm in En Getty. It even says, the psalmist, while in, uh, Saul was pursuing him into En Getty in the Bible. It's pretty cool. Okay, now turn to 1 Samuel. Get your Bibles. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Really cool story in here. I know um, all my, my former eighth grade students are like, oh, I remember this story. This is the one where Saul goes into the cave. Yeah, it's that one. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And uh, let's read starting in verse 1. Good job on finding 1 Samuel. Brendan knows his Bible. All right, you ready? When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. Guys, these are the ninjas. These are the black ops, Navy SEALs. He took 3,000 chosen men. These, these were the guys that could fight, uh, you know, against all odds. So Saul takes 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave and the men of David said to him, here's the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. <laughs> then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, God forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him. 
He's the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Saul rose up, which implies what was he doing right before he rose up? Yeah, squatting. <laughs> He's doing the big job. It's crazy, but the Bible is like very good. You know, he tells us. He doesn't say, you know, he cleaned himself with the royal rags, but you've got to imagine the scene. Inside this little cave, it smells awful. If any of you have ever gone camping and had to, you know, nature called, it wasn't number one, it was number two. And you're like doing your business and whoo, you know, it's, it smells terrible. There's no water for it to go into. Thank God for toilets, right? And indoor plumbing. I mean, honestly. So we've got this cave, mouth of this cave opening right here. Probably doesn't go down that far. And, uh, you know, Saul found a log. And so Saul's doing his business. Do, do, he's reading a newspaper, I'm sure. You know, he's got his robe around his feet there. And uh, David and his men, they're crouching in the back part of the cave, trying not to step on a stick, any gravel. Because, I mean, can you imagine how it echoes in that cave? How David has this conversation. God forbid that I raise my... You know, the whisper. Saul would hear him. I don't know how he does it. The only light in there is the light that's filtering in from the mouth of the cave. So Saul is doing his business. <laughs> and David sneaks up behind him. Very careful not to step on the stuff. Cuts off the corner of Saul's robe and then goes back into the shadows. That's, that's what we have. So Saul gets up. He cleans himself up. Pulls up his robe. Walks out of the cave. Everything's good. Verse six, sorry, eight. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. <laughs> Can you imagine? You've been chasing this guy, trying to assassinate him for all this time. You get out of the cave after, you know, leaving a, a royal gift for the flies and the very guy you're chasing says, hey, king. He turns around and David is calling out after him. Let's see if I have a picture of that. Okay, let me ask you first of all, what did David cut off? What does the text say that he cut off? Corner of his robe. In Hebrew, the word is, and you read right to left, this is k, ah, this is n, the sound nun, n, ah, so k, ah, n, ah, f, kanaf. Say kanaf. Kanaf. Remember kanaf? Okay. Kanaf means corner. In other places in scripture, it's translated border, fringe, or hem. So the word in Hebrew is kanaf. David cut off Saul's Kanaf, one of them. How many kanaf do you have on your on your shirt? Pfft. How many do you have on your clothes? How many do you have on your robes? I don't. We don't really have corner. Maybe one, two. If my bathrobe kind of okay. So it's kind of weird, but it makes sense. So this is what David says in verse eight: "My lord, the king." When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage or homage. And David said to Shaul, 
Saul. Why do you listen to the words of the men who say that David seeks your harm? Behold, this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in that cave. And I think Saul went, Ooh, holy moly, what the heck? You mean you were, and they did, you know what I'm saying? It's all going through Saul's head. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. You see my father, and he holds it up. He holds it up. Look at what's in my hand. It's the cord of your robe. And I think Saul checks it. Oh my gosh, this guy is a ninja, right? Holy cow. He says, see, I cut off the corner of your robe and I did not kill you. That you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you. Now notice these words. We read, just blow right past these words. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Focus in. Please remember David saying, I have not sinned against you. Now, we're going to break this down. All right, what's going on here? First question is, one more time, what did David cut off? Saul's kanaf. Saul's kanaf. Now, um, the text says he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Is Saul, Shaul, is he Jewish? Well, let me answer the question with another question. Is the Pope Catholic? Ah, okay. How about David? Is he Jewish? What's another, uh, you know, is there 12 in a dozen? You know, is it rain wet? Of course David's Jewish. So is Saul. So we know, you and me sitting here, standing here today, know without a shadow of a doubt that both men, in fact, every single Jew in the entire nation is wearing something called a talit. A talit. It's a robe. It's a garment. It's like an undershirt. Now, the ancient talit didn't look like today's talit. Today, a talit would look much different. I've got one in my cover. I'll show you a little bit later. In olden days, it looked like a poncho. It was a rectangle piece of fabric with four distinct corners and a hole in the middle that you would put over your head. And that, that's what you wore under your tunic. Okay, it's underwear. It's, it's this. I'm not going to show you my underwear, but I'll show you part of it because it's an undershirt. No big deal. It's, just an, it's a crew neck shirt. V-neck, I mean. So that undershirt, that's all it was, but it had four corners on it. Now, if Saul is Jewish, and he is, he's wearing a talit, and he is, and on each corner of Shaul's talit, Looks like, like the magic carpet from Aladdin. He's got four tassels tied on those four corners. And each one of those tassels is called a tzitzit. Say tzitzit. Now say it like you've never heard it before. Tzitzit. Okay. If you say it plural, it's tzitziot. All right? Tassels. He's got four tzitziot on his talit. Now, where do I get that? Oh, Mr. Dean, you just pulled that right out of your armpit. Come on, where do you get that he's wearing these, these tassels? It's like a cab driver hanging from the rear view mirror or something. No, 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 no. How, where do you get that? Turn to Numbers 15. All right, I love this because not only 
is this part of the story to figure out where this idea of tassels come from? Why Mr. Dean said, oh, I know he had tassels on, but it also teaches us how to read scripture, how to read the Bible. Because I want to show you a technique that God invented and you do it all the time and I bet you're not even aware of it. It's pretty cool. Numbers 15, do you got it? Do you got it? Do you have it? Yes, Mr. Dean. Cool. All right. All right, let's go. Look at verse 32 with me. Numbers 15, 32. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Oh, And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, kill him. Put him to death. What? And all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a story like that, number one, that breaks my heart for that poor old guy that was just gathering sticks on the Sabbath. It's like, I mean, I understand God is just. He's got to have things done his way. When he says jump, you say how high. You don't say, well, I'm not really feeling it right now, right? But I don't like stories like this. When I read them with my Western glasses on, can I invite you guys to take off your Western glasses, put on your Eastern glasses, and let's reread the story, and you're going to go, oh, okay. First of all, this isn't just some poor old guy picking up sticks. It's Sabbath. I didn't know. Please forgive me. Now we're going to throw rocks at your head until your brains come out. Like, can you imagine how awful that would be? This guy is not just some poor old guy that didn't know any better. See, when we rip stories right out of context, oh, it's so sad. They just killed that poor man. Now, throw it back in the context. What is the entire chapter 15 about? Well, instead of reading it, I'll tell you. Sinning unintentionally and then sinning intentionally. And the majority of chapter 15 is, hey, if you guys sin unintentionally, there's a way for you to get forgiven, Israel, because that's who I am. And everybody goes, thank you, God. That's wonderful. In other words, God wants you to be pure. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be with him. But he knows even if you didn't know you sinned and you did, he can't accept that. It's not because he's mean. It's because that's his nature. So he says, I've provided a way for you to be forgiven if you didn't even know you sinned. How many times have you gone through the day not even realizing or knowing if you sinned? You're like, well, I wouldn't know that because I didn't know I sinned. Exactly. Then the very last part, right before this story, is, oh, and by the way, if you sin intentionally, here's what to do. Okay, so let's read verse 29. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among you, native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But... The person who does anything with a high hand, I want you to think of high hand like this. Okay? Do you know what that means? It means blank you and the horse you rode in on. Because I'll do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, 
and you don't have anything to say about it. So, except I just didn't hold up that one finger that tells me I'm number one. Okay, that's what doing something with a high hand means. It means, mm. so God says, except somebody that does something with a high hand, what's that? That is defiance. That is intentional. I'm gonna look you in the face and say, you know what I mean? God says, for that person, the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, traveler, he reviles the Lord, yeah, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord. He has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. To be utterly cut off means you're gonna lose your life. And then God says, for example, did you catch that? When I'm explaining something to you guys and I see there's nothing on your face, what I'm going to say is, all right, let me give you an example. Let's say we're talking about the subjunctive mood in language. I said, well, the subjunctive mood, yeah, that's, that's a, a mood that it's not indicative and it's not imperative. It, 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 it expresses, it exerts influence over and everybody goes like this. And I said, for example, I want her or I want that she come to my house. I said, oh, okay. I want, in other words, I, I'm not telling her to come to the house. I'm not saying she does come to the house. I'm saying I want her to. I give you an example. Make sense? Give you an example. God did the same thing. Because every, every Hebrew went, unintentional, unintentional, high hand. What are you talking about? God says, for example, man's picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Does he know better? Oh, he knows better. Why? It's the fourth commandment. Do no, you know, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. This guy's going like this. I don't care about the stinking Sabbath. Hey, Fred, what? Dude, it's Sabbath. Screw Sabbath. What? I don't care about the Sabbath. I'm hungry. Make myself someday and I got to start a fire. Dude, if, if Moses sees you, you're going to be in big trouble. I don't care about Moses. Moses can go take a long walk off a short pier. <laughs> I don't care about that guy. That guy's an idiot. Don't say that. Hey, you know what? Why don't you shut up? You want to come over here and do something about it? Put the sticks down, man. You're going to get in trouble. I'd like to see somebody try and make me. That's this guy. And so somebody brings him to Moses. And Moses, I think, says, God, what should we do with him? I don't know. Please, let's not hurt him. And God says, kill him. Okay, that's the guy. He went to God and his commandments and to everyone else that tried to help him. Suddenly, now that makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? My heart doesn't break quite so badly for that guy now. Keep reading, verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tzitziot, tassels, on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. Tell them to put one blue cord on each tassel of each corner and it shall be a tassel for you guys. Tell me the next three things. These tassels will be for you to what? Look at. Remember, write that down. Look at. Number two, what else do they do? These tassels will be for you to look at so that you will remember all the commands. Cool. Third thing, I'm going to look at them. I'm going to remember the commands and to obey them, do them, follow them. Now there's another one there that we're not going to talk about. God doesn't want them whoring after the things their eyes lust after. 
that's, that's another purpose that those tassels will serve. But the three main ones that I like are, not that I'm picking and choosing, but for you to remember to look at, you'll see these tassels. They're on everybody's garment. Everybody has four tassels on. They're stepping on them. Little kids are tying them to the chair behind the guy and he gets up and it's like, oh geez, he's tripping over him, getting caught in the car door. Mm, the guy's tassels are flapping out. God says, look at them. Oh, they're everywhere. Remember, those were really neat commands. Do them. Oh, okay. Number three, don't just remember them, do them. So look at, remember, do. All right, cool. Now, if David cut off the corner of Saul's talit, his robe, what else did he cut off? He cut off the tassel. What are the tassels for again? I just forgot, Cohen. Command. To do them. And to look at them. Oh my gosh. So, let me ask you a question. Are you starting to see the picture that David gave to Saul? Hey, Saul. Look. See, I was taught my whole life that this story was about David sparing Saul's life. That's what it was. Is David said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And I want to say now, with my Hebrew glasses on, what about the rest? The rest of what? The story. Look at David. He's holding up the corner. He's talking to Saul, but he doesn't have to say much because the picture is doing all the talking. It's really cool. When he cut off Saul's corner, he was telling Saul a lot more in picture. What was he telling him? First and most obvious, I could have killed you, but I didn't. We got that. The text says that. Second, what does the third thing that the tassels do? Obeying them. So if I cut off Saul's tassel, which represents God's commands, and I've cut those off and I hold them up, what am I saying to Saul? You're not following the commands. You've cut yourself off from those commands or the commands have been cut off for you. Shame on you, Saul. You're disobeying God. What you're doing is sin in God's eyes. <gasps> Do you remember the text? I said, now, now put your finger there in 1 Samuel 24 and remember the words. David. Yes, David says, I think he says, I have not sinned against you. Meaning, but you have sinned against me. You've been sinning against God by pursuing me. But he says it like a Jew. He holds up the tassel. It's awesome. Third, like this kanaf, David says. What happened to the kanaf? What did, what did David do to it? Cut it off, right? Cut it off. Hey, Saul, this is you. He doesn't say it. You're just like this. And Saul, do you know what? Saul speaks perfect picturees. He gets the picture. Because even though David doesn't say it, Saul says later on in verse 18, and you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? Oh, so the Lord may reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. Verse 20, behold, I know 
that you shall surely be king. When did David say, I'm supposed to be king? He never did. Saul can read the picture in David's hand. And Saul says, now I know you're going to be king and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. What's in David's hand? The commandments of God. Who's the one obeying the commandments? The one that's got him in his hands, right? And then he says, please swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me. And David says, don't worry. I won't be cutting off anything else for you, Saul. God's going to take care of that. And Saul says, oh man, darn it. I should have been more obedient, right? But I just think that is so cool, this picture that David gives him. All right, fast forward. Turn to Matthew, Luke, like I said, Luke chapter eight. Turn to Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight. 